I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. In 2011, civil war broke out in Syria. Many people had high hopes for the uprising and for the Arab Spring in general. Perhaps this would end the long reign of dictators in the Middle East. But quickly, the war, war took a sharp downturn into oblivion. What started out as rebels against the regime quickly transformed into something entirely different. Since 2011, you might have noticed that Israel has struck Syria with hundreds of airstrikes. And if you've only been reading the headlines, you might be wondering, what the hell is Israel doing? Why get embroiled in a mess that has seemingly little to do with Israel? Let the Muslim nations battle it out, and let's just be happy that they're not messing with us. Well, it turns out that's not the case at all. Dan Shiftan is the head of the International Graduate Program in National Security Studies at the University of Haifa. He's taught at the Israel Defense Forces National Security College and the IDF's Command and Staff College. He was an advisor to Israel's National Security Council and former Prime Ministers Yitzhak Rabin and Ariel Sharon. He's also the author of several books and articles on issues pertaining to Israel's national security. He joins us today to talk about the Iranian threat. We're thrilled to welcome Dan Chiftan to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening. Before we get to the episode, guys, I have to tell you about our sponsors over at the Chosen One Card Game. Let's face it, we Jews, we're not really good at sports or keeping our opinions to ourselves. But we're not bad at funny. We do funny, all right. The Chosen One card game is certified hilarious. Okay, you get a huge set of Jewish-themed question and answer cards, and you match them up, and the funny combinations are hilarious. And best of all, of course, it's Shabbat-friendly, so you can play it on Shabbat. Noah and I were playing this game before we recorded, and we were literally cracking up from the first combo— Apparently, the reason I'm deleting J-Swipe is because of Dr. Goldsteinberg, MD. This game is a must-have for any Jew who considers himself a Jew. The Chosen One card game, guys. Visit thechosenonegame.com, thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2NJB for a discount. Again, that's thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2, the number 2NJB, for a discount. Um, first of all, as you guys can see, if you're watching this on Facebook, we have a very, uh, gorilla setup today. Um, but we're, we're gonna, we're gonna plow through it. So when we spoke on the phone, uh, it, it was actually very funny because you said to me, uh, when I said we want to talk about the Iranian threat, you said, oh good, I thought you were going to say that you want to talk about that stupid Palestinian issue. You didn't say use the word stupid, but what it, that it's not actually. I guess you were implying that it's not really a threat. Why? Why? Why is that? It is insignificant. It has no meaning in the regional, in the broader regional sense of the term. It doesn't really have any impact on the region. If we had tomorrow a war between Israel and the Palestinians or peace, everlasting riding into the sunset, the regional effects would be zero because it wouldn't deal with the major issues in the region. First of all, Iran, that we will discuss later in great detail, or if you look at the economic sustainability of Egypt, you look at the uh, counter-revolution in 
Turkey. These are the major issues. Nobody cares about the Palestinians except the Europeans, who don't matter anyhow. 50% and some, of the Israeli population? No, no. If you look at what is happening at the elections, nobody even discusses the Palestinian issue. If you look at the opposition, nobody except merits even mentions it. Some people say we need to have a horizon, but nobody even mentions the term peace. Nobody thinks that there is a solution, or at least nobody with, who knows what he's talking about, okay? So, and people waste our time discussing this issue. I've written three books on the subject, so I, I'm, I'm somewhat knowledgeable. Hello. But I, do, I don't want to waste our time on something that doesn't matter. On the other hand, the Iranian issue impacts everything in the region. It impacts not only the region, it has major global significance. The United States is very heavily involved. It has to do not only with Russia and China, but with Japan, with many countries around the world who depend on oil from the Persian Gulf. It will determine to a large extent the fate of Lebanon, of Syria, of Iraq, of Yemen, you name it. Everything in this region will be impacted by the hegemonial ambitions of Iran, and they are dramatically more important than all the other issues in the region put together. Now, if you look at the long range, if you look at the last 100 years of history and you look, about, you look at the next generation and that after that, there are other very fundamental issues like the profound failure, the structural failure of the Arab states. And this is tremendously important and very interesting. And if you want in a separate uh, podcast, we can discuss it. But if you ask what is the acute question, let me give you only one example. Israel is at war, not at the risk of having a war. We are at war. It is a low-intensity war, but you mentioned it yourself. Hundreds of military actions in Syria, now, now Iraq. in Iraq. So we're speaking about war. And something even more interesting, for the first time since 1956, we are engaged in a preemptive war. In other words, this is not a response to an aggression that has already been taken against Israel. It is to prevent the Iranians from having a potential of destroying uh, or undermining the Israeli success story. So we've had a preventive attitude on the nuclear level, until recently, we had it in Iraq in 81, we had it in uh, Syria in 2007, but on a conventional level, and at the moment we are not threatened by an Iranian nuclear power, we are threatened by conventional weapons. For the first time, we are not saying, well, things can get very serious, and one day if we are immediately threatened, we will do something about it. What we are saying now is, we know that if the Iranians manage to build their potential in Syria and in Iraq, the next war can be unacceptable from an Israeli point of view. So let's prevent them from having the capability of hitting us. This is a completely new approach. And interestingly enough, I think the entire Israeli defense establishment, beyond parties, agrees that this is something that Israel must do. At the moment, it is relatively easy because we haven't had casualties with the exception of one F-16 that fell in Israel and the pilots are mm -hmm. okay. 
But, and maybe if it becomes more serious, there will be disagreement in Israel. At the moment, there is no disagreement in Israel about so, it. So, um, just to clear some stuff out, what exactly is Israel uh, bombing in Syria? Missile silos, launching uh, Before stations? we come to the operative yeah. uh, issue, let me explain the strategic context, because unfortunately, we are focused on operative issues and we don't see the overall picture. So what is Iran trying to do? In Iran is trying more than anything else to hegemonize this region. And because the Arab world is so weak and the Arab states are so incompetent in practically everything and Arab societies are so weak, the Iranians can actually take over. Because in Iran we must make the distinction between a very impressive Iranian society and a barbaric Iranian regime. The Iranian society is very impressive. I don't know about the future of the Arab states. At least in the next generation or two, it looks very bleak. But if you look at the future of the Iranians, it is very promising because the Iranian society is very, very impressive. So you have the very weak Arabs, you have a very strong Iranian society, you have a barbaric regime, and you have the history of a power that used to be historically a power that considers itself to be a regional, even beyond a regional power, that can take over the Middle East unless somebody stops them. Mm -hmm. And there are only two that can stop them. Israel in real terms and the United States by giving the umbrella, by doing something on the global level that will make it easier to stop the Iranians. But why do they want to take over the world? or the Middle East, or whatever. Why do people throughout history want to take over the world? I mean, go back thousands of years. I mean, this is something that nations who perceive themselves to be great and are strong and the neighbors are, their neighbors are weak are doing. I mean, don't think of the world in Canadian terms. I mean, again, if we want to understand the world, we must forget about what is happening in Europe now, but remember very well what happened in Europe only 100 years ago. We must forget about the Western world and our societies, and we must remember that this is what we've had since the beginning of uh, history. But I mean, there is an interesting point. I mean, the United States, for example, Mexico and Canada are very weak relative to the United the, States. The United States conquered but, parts of Mexico. Yes, but you're also but, assuming yeah. that the Iranians are like Americans. I mean, the worst possible assumption is the Californian no, approach, no, we are all people, okay? <laughs> no, 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 there yeah. are, not only do you have uh, powers with ambitions, and if you look at uh, China today, you will see it not on a military level at the moment, but you will see it on a massive scale. You, you, you can see throughout history that powers want to dominate their region. And culture is what matters. You're looking at the world from the point of view of the American political culture of the 21st century, and you're assuming that Iran is something similar, only on the, it's not yet America, it's not yet Europe. No, these are completely different cultures. And in addition to it, you have here a barbaric regime domin dominating the world is what this regime is about, at least dominating Islam, dominating the Middle East, in the long run perhaps beyond the Middle East, but certainly dominating the Middle East. This is the raison d'etre of this regime. If you want to understand Israel, can you understand it with Zionism, if you want to understand Iran, this particular regime in Iran, 
can you um, understand it beyond the the um, ambition to dominate to impose the Islamic revolution not only on Shiites but also on Sunnis it's impossible so in terms of motivation there is no yeah. problem yeah no I wasn't assuming that they're at all like the American I think that was the exact the the point is that culturally they're very different and so Iran Iran has this like uh, imperialistic uh, not even imper a caliphate ambition uh, but you speak about culture it's interesting because there are there's I think most people think about the Middle East and they think ah Arabs but Iranians are very different than Arabs. You have the three most important countries in the region are not Arab, Iran, Turkey, and Israel, mm -hmm. okay? Now, unfortunately, in the Arab world, even Arabs who are at the moment moderate, like the Egyptians, are very, very, very weak on the verge of hunger. So the Arab world is in a terrible state. The Iranians see it and they say, why not take over? And take over the Arab states, take over oil, become extremely important globally because they take over this region that is also a junction, a strategic junction, uh, culturally, uh, economically, uh, you name it. So in terms of ambition, this is what the Iranians want. And even the nuclear issue is only an instrument. The Iranians don't want a nuclear bomb, and one day they will build a bomb and they'll drop it on Tel Aviv. They're much more sophisticated than that. First of all, they don't want a bomb. They want a, a nuclear arsenal, namely not one single bomb, but a bomb, the ability to weaponize it on missiles, a variety of long-range Missiles including that will to carry America. these bombs. Pardon? Including that will carry the Look, bombs the moment you to have America. A, the moment you have a ballistic missile, uh, you can make it intercontinental. This is the question: is they want to threaten the world? So okay. this is what they are about. This is their raison d'être: being able to threaten everybody. No matter, what, no matter the cost, they no matter the price they have to pay. First of all, they're willing to pay the kind of prices that you can't even imagine. Let me give you only one example. In the Iraq-Iran war, they had a problem with massive minefields. So they sent in children so that the children will activate the mines and the children will be killed and so that the soldiers will not be killed. And every child had uh, on him a plastic key and they told the children that this is the key to heaven. This we is in the 70s, about, 80s. We are speaking about barbarians, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, again, the Iranian society and the Iranian culture is very impressive. The Iranian regime, this Iranian regime How can is you barbaric. between the two? You can separate, in spite of the fact that there are Iranians who support this regime, essentially, of course, it's not a democratic regime. It's not elected by the people. My guess is that if you had democratic um, uh, elections in Iran, you wouldn't have this kind of regime. In the Arab world, I guess that in many places, like in Gaza, even if they had democratic elections, Hamas would be elected. In Turkey, unfortunately, Erdogan will be elected. In Russia, uh, I think Putin will be elected, even if you don't, uh, um, you know, rig the elections as Putin is constantly doing. But what you have in the Middle East is different, in the Arab Middle East, is different from Iran. In Iran, you have pluralistic elements even under the rule of the mullahs. So the Iranian society is impressive. Unfortunately, 
as long as they're our enemies, the fact that they're impressive works against us because they have science, they can build nuclear bombs, they can um, a reverse engineer American drones that fall in in Iran and they can produce their own drones based on reverse engineering. They can find other scientists when we kill the ones that are currently working on the bomb? They say that we kill them. Of course, Israel did not take responsibility for it, but they have scientists. How much science do you have in the Arab world? How much scientific innovation do you have from... Academies, universities. They have academies, they have universities. What do they produce in terms of scientific innovation? Bobkis. You look at it from the Atlantic Ocean to the Persian Gulf, and there is hardly any scientific innovation in the Arab world. In Iran, you have it, and it's impressive. And this society, when they are enemies, it's bad that they're so good. One day, I hope, when we can again cooperate as we did, with Iran before 79, I think Israel and Iran can be the two pillars of stability in the region. But at the moment, the abilities of the Iranian society are mobilized in the service of a barbaric regime. Look, Germany had a very impressive society in the Second World War, but it was harnessed to the the uh, ambitions, to the crazy ambitions, to the barbaric ambitions of Adolf Hitler. So if you don't make the distinction between the two, you're losing part of your ability to understand the situation. But Adolf Hitler was democratically elected. And not really. No, but, but, uh, and there, but and you, uh, even if not, you, you have to at some point hold the German people so, I mean, you know, maybe not entirely responsible, but somewhat responsible. Oh, yes. And the culture. Oh, and yes. the culture. Oh, yes. And in, in, in Germany, you had a change of culture after the Second World War. And in Japan, you had a change of culture after the Second World War. Or did you? And I think, I think the, they have. It's I suitable. think they have. Well, but I, they had to I'm, have some I'm, kind I'm of cultural very reformation. Maybe not complete. But Look, remember that before Adolf Hitler... Germany was an open society in terms of the 1920s and the 1930s. Not as open as we all are today. But at the time, they had the foundations of democracy. They had the foundations of pluralism. Unfortunately, in the Arab but world, we haven't an, seen anti-Semitism. it. Yes, but again, anti-Semitism is very bad, but you can be a very successful society and yet be anti-Semitic. I mean... I don't like it as a Jew, and I don't like it as a person with um, uh, democratic values, but you cannot assume that if somebody is an anti-Semite, he's also incapable of, of sophisticated science or even of good philosophy. Stupidity okay? and evil don't always pair together. Sometimes you can be evil and smart. But I, wanted to, I want to go back to the Iranian issue. So Iran is trying to set up these proxies, you know, uh, threats around Israel because they don't want to go in themselves. And you said you mentioned Turkey. Can Turkey take them on? No. First of all, because certainly under Erdogan, I think you have more of an enemy of the same thing that we are trying to fight when we are fighting against Iran than a friend. I mean, Turkey is not an ally in this regard. I think it's a Trojan horse in uh, NATO. If I were a European, I would argue from, for kicking them out of NATO because their advantages are much smaller than their enormous damage. And I'm speaking about the Erdogan regime. Okay? For, for we example. had a different, 
For example, they work with the Russians against the Americans. Mm -hmm. For instance, they bring the S-400 that uh, when you link it to a member of NATO, you're compromising NATO. Okay? And this is why the Americans, and I hope it's only the first step, threatened. have denied, yeah. not only threatened, denied them the F-35. Okay, because you're basically undermining it. The moment you work with Erdogan, you're undermining your, your very basic uh, uh, interest. So no, Turkey is not. And even the proxies are not the most dangerous thing. You have a very powerful proxy in Lebanon, namely Hezbollah. But, but what makes it powerful is not only billions of dollars, but practically the entire spectrum of advanced missiles that where Hezbollah is better equipped than most developed armies in the world. And Hamas okay? also. Yeah, but okay. uh, Hamas is far, far, yeah, far Hezbollah smaller and, and weaker. Have but hundreds again, of thousands of rockets uh, aimed at uh, us. Not, hun to not, hundred and, not hundreds of thousands, 130,000. Okay. Most of them are short-range short um, uh, rockets, not, mis not guided missiles. And they're really, yes, it is, no, it's a big comfort. It's a big comfort. Because what the Iranians are trying to do now is to take the dumb rockets that have no guidance equip them with guidance and make them 10 times more dangerous because they're guided. Okay? That's what we're trying to prevent. This is what we're trying to prevent. But we're trying to prevent something else. We're trying to prevent that the Iranians bring the entire infrastructure of making these missiles smart and building hundreds of thousands of these missiles into Syria very close to Israel. But aren't we like a Dutch kid trying to... Look, first, first of all, if I can stop the, the dam from breaking by sticking the finger, I'll stick the finger. I think we're doing the right thing. And the question is always, do you want to put the danger of war more immediate or less immediate? But I think the balance we have so far is the right balance. On the one hand, we constantly bombard them in Syria. We are told by foreign sources that... Israel is bombarding them also in Iraq. The, it slows down dramatically what the Iranians are trying to do. How come Can they it don't prevent retaliate? It? They don't retaliate because when they try to retaliate, they realize that they're outgunned and outsmarted by Israel on a way. You see, in Syria, we have an enormous advantage on five levels. A, it's Let's not very break close. censorship. Uh, huh? no, 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 censorship, no, uh, no, 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 <laughs> okay. we will not break anything. Okay. Trust me, I'm very careful. Okay. A, it's very close to Israel and very far from Iraq. Okay. Uh, from Iran, I'm sorry. Yeah. B, we have the support of the United States, which is enormously important. Under um, Obama, we didn't have it we had more the danger of American involvement than the benefits of American involvement. And one of the reasons we don't have war with Iran is that we don't have Obama. I mean, they can't trust Obama to tie the hands of Israel once they do something to us. The third thing is we have an understanding with the Russians. The Russians have succeeded in Syria to get enormous benefits on relatively small costs. They have a very limited involvement that gave them enormous political 
benefits. If they clash with us, it'll be bad for us, but also it'll be bad for them. A, because when it comes to electronic warfare, we're a superpower. B, because it will force them to deepen their involvement to a point where they may get criticized inside Russia for losses and other problems and money spent here. Uh, so they want to keep it on a relatively low level. So this is the third advantage. The fourth advantage is that the Arab world is with us. We have Saudi Arabia on our side and Egypt and Jordan and the countries in the Gulf and Morocco. So we're not alone in this coalition. And by the way, this makes it much easier to have a coalition with the United States because they don't say we can either work with the Arabs or with the Israelis. They say we work with the Arabs and the Israelis vis-a-vis a, -vis a few radical Arabs and Iran. So that's much easier from an American Uh, for, from an American point of view. So the advantages that Israel has are enormous, and in addition to it, there is a consensus in Israel. It's not like uh, issues like the first Lebanon war where the Israeli society is torn over it. People understand Iran is a danger. You don't have people who believe like they believe that Yasser Arafat is a man of peace. We, we don't have Israelis, or at least I haven't heard of anybody stupid enough to undermine the danger that Iran is presenting. But aren't we taking a big risk in um, withholding a preemptive strike that would finish this? Because time, they have, time is, is beneficial mainly to them. I, I disagree. I disagree. First of all... What kind of there, preemptive strike? There though? is no such thing as once and for all in anything. So if somebody is stupid enough to suggest something once and for all in Gaza or once and for all in Syria, there is no such thing. Let me give you the broader picture here again. In the Middle East, people don't try to have a better life for themselves. They try to have a worse life for people they consider to be their enemies. This is an extremely violent region that in the last 100 years invested almost nothing in society building and nation building and invested hundreds of billions, thousands of billions of dollars in weapons, in fighting against each other, in fighting against Israel, in oppressing their own people and so on. To assume that you can do something that will once and for all finish off a problem is to be childish about the Middle East. So you either have the dumb idea of we will go into Gaza and once and for all finish terrorism, or the even dumber idea, we will speak to the Palestinians and we will have peace, and then once and for all, we will have peace in the region. Anybody who says anything about solutions must be stupid. The stupid question is, what is the solution? The smart question is, how do you live for a long time and have a good life in spite of the fact that there is no solution? Can you have a good life when you know that any day they can push a button and throw 100,000 rockets at you. How first, of all, first of all, the whole human race has, a, has the parts that have a good life, have a good life knowing that somebody can push a button and release nuclear weapons and the human race will be extinct. Second, we're having a very, 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 very good But life in Israel. But it can change like this. Life is complicated. The fact of the matter, what I'm trying to say is they have 
no matter how much we strike, in the end of the day, they have the advantage advantage in the fact that they can throw these these rockets in Leb in Lebanon are a real threat, and and we never so? we never experienced what's about to happen. The okay, so we'll experience it, and it will be difficult. But remember, for 140 years, we have a good life and they have a terrible life. Okay? Yes. And even when we were hit, <laughs> okay. and in 1973, we were hit quite hard, the result was that after a very short period of time, we recuperated and improved our life dramatically. And they are stuck in the same... It doesn't guarantee... What happens? Like, wh what's... You know what I'm you saying? Want, you want the kind of life... It sounds like a European, namely as if you don't live in the real world. In the real world, you don't get to sit there and be happy ever after. This is only in legends, you know, uh, among other things they say, and then they got married and lived happily ever after. This was written by a bachelor, okay? <laughs> this, this idea that you can do something, be it military or be it di diplomatic, and then problems will go away. This is exactly the way Europeans think about the world and which is why they're irrelevant to the world because they don't understand that it's a complicated place to live in. And what you do is you prepare answers for the challenges. For instance, if they will send massive uh, rockets into Israel, Lebanon will be destroyed, obliterated. Okay? Now, will it be something that will make me happy? No. But will they lose a lot? For instance... But the Iranians if, won't lose. Oh, you're right. Wrong. No, they will. Why? They will, for two reasons. It's the advantage of having a proxy. No, no. So look again at the broad picture. Don't think operatively, think strategically. Okay. That's what when, we brought to you. I know, <laughs> I know. That's what I've been telling him for years. <laughs> okay. Don't think operatively, think strategically. It's the way I was <laughs> raised. What did I do? Okay. okay. If they do it, yeah. we will invade Lebanon. Okay. On a massive scale, not like in the second Lebanon war. Now, what will we invade? South Lebanon. Yeah. Who lives in South Lebanon? the Shiites. Okay. What is the most important Iranian stronghold on the Mediterranean? The Shiite South Lebanon. Okay. Now, when you have Israeli divisions going up and down South Lebanon, it shouldn't even be their objective. It should just be the byproduct of their going from one place to another, and the whole region is obliterated. You think that this will make the Iranians happy? No, no, because these are the people they want to use. It is much better to be in a position to hold somebody that threatens somebody else than to use it and then to lose the thing that you threaten. To some extent, I'm not saying totally, but to some extent, I'm told, I'm not an expert on the subject, that when a beast thinks, it also dies. I'm not sure, okay? But... Anyhow, the idea is not that Iran will lose nothing. For instance, if Hezbollah hits the gas um, uh, stations of Israel in the Mediterranean, do you think that the Iranian gas and oil in the Persian Gulf will be immune? I hope not. I don't know. But I hope not. 
you can make Iran pay not by occupying Iran. This would be the stupid way to do it. You can do it in many, many other ways. So far, if you look at the history of Israel, we are not vegetarians. Okay? When we are being threatened, the other side pays a price that is enormously higher than the price we pay. Now, is it true that they don't care about lives the way we do? Yes. We make them pay with other things. Look at the Arab world after 70 years with Israel. Who benefited and who's flourishing? Who's on top of the world and who's deep in the gutter? Look at the uh, overall perspective of it. Let's, let's talk a bit about the uh, nuclear deal, the yeah. Iran deal. Gotta. Before we do that, I have to okay. explain one more strategic thing. Okay. okay. Why is it so dangerous if the Iranians establish themselves in, in Syria? It is because they can then be able, together with Hezbollah, to saturate the Israeli defense systems simply because if you send thousands of rockets a, a day, there is a limit to what Iron Dome and other systems can intercept. And they will not put Israel in an existential threat. Israel will continue to exist, but you can undermine the Israeli success story. But what's the difference between what you just said and what Noah was suggesting? I mean, won't Israel then obliterate Syria? Yes, but the Iranians don't care if we obliterate Syria. Ah, okay. So it, and we cannot occupy Syria. It's too big. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I'm not saying that the punishment is the only deterrence. Here is another element of deterrence. You try to build the potential, we will destroy your potential. And this potential can cost you billions of dollars, and we will destroy it. Which you and don't we will have destroy anyway. it again and again and again. Yeah. Now, also, as technology advances, you have other options. For instance, so far, we haven't had any laser defense. Laser is very complicated, and it is still not, it has not reached fruition yet as a weapon. But once it does, every single interception costs you practically nothing. Establishing the system is very expensive. But every single interception costs you nothing. Now with Iron Dome, you're sending a very, very sophisticated missile mm -hmm. that costs a lot of money. So we have advantages there as well. I and see. by the way, while we're doing it, the Iranian regime may fall. Okay? Because the American sanctions the are extreme the, the new, new ones. ones are extremely effective. Extremely effective. So that the pressure on Iran is enormous. What do those now, sanctions look what like? What is just a minute. Okay. What is the the most serious scenario? The Iranians don't want to fight Israel. And they don't want to hit Israel. What they want is to take over the Middle East. But when they try, we will stop them. We are the only thing that can stop them. For instance, it will be a catastrophe for Israel if they take over Jordan. Because the West Bank, in a way, can be an extension of Jordan. So, and Jordan has the longest border, very close to our centers of population. So what they want is to prevent Israel from stopping them from taking over Jordan. 
if they will try to take over Jordan, we will militarily stop it. And they want to tell us, if you will try to stop us, Tel Aviv will be bombarded. It's a game of so chess, so they're pinning our pawns so that playing, we can't move it to defend our They are playing chess. King. They invented chess. Okay, wow. They're very sophisticated. They're very dangerous enemies. Very, very dangerous enemies. Now, let's go back to the J JCPOA. The Americans misunderstood the whole issue because they focused on the bomb. And this is not the issue. The question is not will they get a bomb and then they will um, uh, use it on Israel. Will they have the missiles? That's one of the important parts. And the additional important part... How much part, uranium? No, 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 no. <laughs> Again, <laughs> we're you, playing the... How much spices guess, in the rice? You have to see the overall perspective. Forget that you ever used whatever journalists are writing. Look above these issues. But Look. journalists are always writing. They're the smartest people. Don't believe what you read in the newspapers. Okay, <laughs> okay so what, the mo what they missed the point. What's the point? Here's the, the point. Okay. Obama waited until the Iranians got 100% of what they wanted. Not 99.9, but 100% of the enrichment circle. And when they dominated it, and they got everything they wanted, they needed about a decade for weaponization, and missiles. So he gave them a decade, not they gave him, they gave him nothing, zero. He gave them 10 years of tranquility, so they and have money. time and money, so they have time and money to build the missiles and to uh, prepare the, the weaponization. But they agreed to be checked by the UN. The, the check is worth nothing <laughs> no, but because it is built in it that they cannot go to military bases. The Iranians outmaneuvered the Americans. Look, the Iranians are the most sophisticated negotiators in the world. And the person America put to negotiate with them, John Kelly, is not known for being very bright. Okay, to put it very, very politely and very, very mildly. They manipulated him because they didn't care. The Americans and the Europeans didn't care. What they wanted is to kick the can down the street for another 10 years. Okay? And to make the Nobel and Prize. I don't know and I don't care. We try to translate things into personal issues and therefore people don't understand Israeli politics and don't understand politics in general. The point is that Obama abdicated the role of the United States as the, the global power. This was the essence. And he, today you don't use anymore the term um, appeasement because you have alternatives like engagement or dialogue, but it's exactly the same thing. Let's find something. Let's have a piece of paper that people signed, okay? It is the dumbest agreement you can possibly have reached from an American and European point of view, and the Iranians got 100% of what they wanted. Look at something interesting. Now that the Americans withdrew from it, the Iranians don't withdraw from it because it, it works for them. Okay? So even when they have the ultimate excuse to withdraw from it, what will happen to them if they withdraw from it? The, the Europeans are capable of nothing. Okay? 
So the fact that the Europeans are, are on their side, they won't lose the Europeans because the Europeans want to be on the side that promises them that nothing will happen and every, everything will be very nice and they continue to live in La La Land. It's not because the Europeans don't understand it. The Europeans, and particularly the French, understand exactly what is happening. Just to make it clear, after 10 years, what did, did the Americans, from their perspective, ex- expected to happen oh, after 10 sanctions years? Are, Peace everlasting, the regime no going home. The whole thing was without any kind of strategic thinking. So... In reality, after 10 years, Iranians are left, if the agreement were to be, they, they're left with the money, they can now have nuclear bombs, right? Yeah, and it, they can do anything they want. It's not even a problem, because they, if they want to enrich now, they can enrich now, but they don't need it. What will they do with enriched uranium now when they don't have the missiles? What will they mail it and by Israeli postal clear, service? The, 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 the agreements allow them to test missiles. Yes. No, the agreement doesn't speak about it. Yeah, so in, in, in fact, it, it allows Look, them. Look, A, Iranians it. cheat. There is n- <laughs> they cheat. This is what they're about. This is the essence of their they culture. They cheat like a French husband. And, and it makes it, it, it was so easy on them to cheat because this agreement is built on believing them. So you're saying that the Obama administration was just stupid. I'm saying Even they were, worse, they they were irresponsible, which in my view is Throw worse us, than stupid. You don't the see problem is not the, uh, the intelligence of people. Intelligence is something overrated. The question is wisdom. Okay? It's not, uh, Obama is a very intelligent person. But what you need is somebody who understands what the issues are and are willing to keep the United States in its position as the only power that can be responsible for the global order. And Trump is such a person? Trump <laughs> is an interesting combination <laughs> of a very questionable personality, a total inability for a strategic articulation with excellent strategic instincts. He always reminds me on the joke of two people who went to elementary school together and they meet 50 years later and one of them is a, is a billionaire. And the other guy asks him, how did you become a billionaire? You couldn't even master the multiplication table. And the guy says, well, I buy my products for $100, I sell them for $422, I make my 4% and I'm happy. Okay? <laughs> you don't have to be a mathematician, you have to be rich. Okay? So I don't care how repulsive his statements on certain issues are or how... It's not relevant how, to our lives. That's what Americans pardon? don't understand. I'm saying it's not relevant to us Israelis if his inner policies or his... Uh, we no. care about our interests. The question is... No, it's even beyond interest. The question is, does he understand the issues and is he willing to take it on? And when it comes to the real issue, understanding that Iran is a danger... Is a, da- is a major They're danger a friend, to a Europe, to the United States. To and humanity. F- and and forget, I usually don't speak for humanity. It would bring me other problems that I don't okay. want to encounter. <laughs> But if you, if you look at the overall picture and you realize 
that yes, Iran may be one day an ally of the United States, but it must be with a different regime. And for a different regime to come, this regime must fail. And whatever is good for the Iranians is bad for America, bad for Europe, bad for Israel, bad for most of the Arab states. Understanding that if the Iranians can agree to something, it means that you were stupid. If the Iranians are for it, you must be against it because 22. there is a zero-sum game when it yeah. comes to the overall picture. You can have an agreement on this or that issue. There is, we live in a complicated world. You can have identical or overlapping interests on one or more issues. But if you look at the overall picture, Iran and the United States, Iran and Israel, Iran and Europe have a zero-sum game. Whatever is good for this regime is bad for the West, is bad for most of the Arab world. But you have to ask, I mean, it, it, when dealing with a country that you know throws gay people off the, the roofs of buildings and says death to America and death to the great Satan, death to the little Satan every other Monday and Tuesday... If Obama's going into this believing, if Obama, when Obama went into it, believing that they have some kind of goodwill, that, you, okay. is, also, that, is, that, is that stupidity or is, that, is there some malice there? I don't think there is malice. I would not attribute to Obama malice. Look, the best definition for Obama, and I said it to his closest entourage, uh, is something that Moshe Dayan used to say about some Israeli politicians. He said, this is a good guy in the bad sense of the term. Okay? <laughs> it is somebody who's a good guy. If you're a good guy, be a poet. Be a social worker. Don't be the president of the United States. Okay? In my book, the best president the United States had since the Second World War on foreign policy was Richard Nixon. Okay? Was he a lovable person? No. Uh, was he a criminal? Yes. <laughs> who, who cares? Yeah, no, no, I know. Huh? And by the way, what is a crime? People doing politics things, and everybody did it, including people we admire. Okay. okay? So the question is, not if the guy is nice or cool, okay? He is cool. I don't want a cool president. I want a president who knows what he's doing. Let me put it this way. If I were, uh, you know, to write a book about what not to do in the Middle East, Obama would sue me for plagiarism, okay? <laughs> there is hardly something wrong in the Middle East that he didn't do. I mean, the only good thing he did in the Middle East Apology was not for? to intervene in Syria, which I wouldn't do. Okay. But not only did he do something terrible when he drew the red line and then backed off. In Syria. But, yes, but after his presidency, he said that this is the thing he's most proud of throughout his presidency. Okay? Well, this there is wasn't the much guy, to be proud of. So. This is the, look, I don't know anything about Obamacare, and I'm not an expert on domestic American issues. Yeah. I'm speaking about what Middle he East. did. Not only Middle East. Not only Middle East. Foreign. Throughout the world, people on the American side understood that this guy, guy is a major problem for them. Okay? So... But, but wait, let's get back to... So, yeah. Well, Trump. I wanted to... Uh, are we, do we have time? No. 
I was thinking maybe we'd end with uh, just a little bit. I want to understand what Trump did now by withdrawing. How is it affecting? And what, what kind of sanctions are what, it, Yeah, wh- how do, does it affect life in Iran, like real, real person's life? First of all... And do you think it's wise what's going on right now? I think that the sanctions are very wise, and the more the better, and they have enormous effects on Iran. And the reason I am absolutely sure, without the slightest doubt, that they have an enormous negative impact on this regime is the way this regime reacts, because it takes chances, like shooting down an American drone, like um, sabotaging um, uh, oil tankers, like uh, threatening the freedom of navigation in the Hormuz gates, in a way that only a panicked, The Iranians are usually extremely careful, and this is something that works against them, but they are panicking. The situation is very, very, very bad. Let me put it this way. By Iranian admission, they have lost in the last two years approximately 12% of their um, GDP. uh, GDP. They, they, They had a negative growth of um, uh, negative growth of 5% one year and 6% in the other year. This is enormous. If you look at inflation in Iran, if you look at um, uh, the fact that they have to cut their allowances to uh, Hezbollah, Hezbollah is getting less money. Now, if you look at the major problems they're having, and primarily in their uh, reactions that are a product of... I wouldn't say hysteria, but not very far, not very far from it. And the Americans are doing something very smart. They're saying we're not provoked into military actions. They had a lot of excuses to take military actions. They said this is what the Iranians want. They want the uh, Americans to start asking themselves, are we going to get body bags from the Middle East? Do we want another intervention? Do we want boots on the ground in the Middle East? That would undermine the ability of, of, the, um, uh, of Trump to do what he's doing. They say the economic pressure works. Let's intensify the economic, uh, the economic pressure. So I think it's extremely, extremely effective. The Is the Iranian thing- is influenced by it? I don't know. I don't know every Iranian, and I'm not interested in every okay. Iranian. Again, I'm not his social worker. I'm interested in the economy of the country. The numbers, the yeah. big numbers. I'm, I'm interested in big numbers, and I see their reaction. Their reaction are testimony to the fact that it works, and it works very well. But this well. could, uh, yeah. Let's, I think we need to wrap it up, but I do want to finish. Even though you're, you're, you talk a lot about high-level strategy, so I think this question might be a little uh, too down-to-earth. But can we get your reaction to the whole uh, Tlaib and Omar uh, thing? The Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman that we're supposed to visit oh, Israel. Oh, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's a completely different issue. Look, again, I must look at this at the, for, from the broad perspective. I'm bored by, <laughs> by uh, tactical questions. The question is, does a country have the obligation to let people in that it doesn't want? And as far as I'm concerned, a country shouldn't even need to give an explanation. I don't like you. It's my country. I don't like you. Now, the question here is, we're speaking about congresswomen. These are so radical that I don't see a reason to let them into Israel. 
And the fact that even people who are pro-Israel in the Democratic Party don't like it, certainly won't like it. I would not let them in. I think that the combination of saying, if you want to see your grandmother, okay. For hum if you claim that it's humanitarian, as long as it's humanitarian, fine. But if you want to come here for propaganda against Israel, why should we help you? No, what's amazing is that they didn't even say, uh, if you want to come, she sent a letter basically asking yes. and yes. saying, I won't do any BDS. Yes. And then they, all Israel did was like, okay. You can come. Look, she's doing BS all the time. Yeah, so yeah. BDS is just adding I, one letter. <laughs> I, I want, but I want to take us back to Iran before we finish. Sorry, yeah. Okay. Um, I want to ask you if you can give me like, if you look at the foreseeable future, um, taking into consideration everything that's going on right now, can you give me like the best case scenario for, for us and for the Middle East and the worst case scenario with Iran? Look, the best case scenario by far would be um, a different regime in Iran, because this will change the Middle East. Israel and Iran will be in excellent relations. The worst situation will be if Iran manages to take over the Middle East without a war. So again, looking at the strategic issue, you can say the worst is if Tel Aviv is bombarded on a massive scale. No. There is something worse than war, and this is capitulation. Because then when the war comes, you're finished. If the Iranians take over the Middle East or large uh, portions of the Middle East, for instance, Jordan, and then a war will come, this will threaten the existence of the state of Israel. At the moment, it will hurt Israel. And I very much hope it will not work because deterrence will prevent it. But it is not the worst situation. So if you're not asking the stupid question that journalists usually ask, in terms of the men in the street, what will be the worst situation? Of course, if a missile falls on his head, it will be the... <laughs> the but I'm not interested in the men in the street. I'm interested in the many men, many men and many women in many streets. I'm trying to look at the overall picture. Preventing Iran from dominating the region is worth risking war. This is what Israel is doing today. Yeah. It is Every risking... Every time we, we strike, it, we risk yes, the war. We, we are risking war to prevent a war under circumstances that we cannot tolerate. Amazing. Okay. Uh, thank you. Yeah, really. Thank you so much. Very enlightening. Thank you so much. Before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal, a Jewish news outlet in Los Angeles. They're at jewishjournal.com. They have articles, podcasts. Check them out and... JewishJournal.com, guys. So uh, also we have, uh, we do this on our free time. I forgot what I was talking about. We do this on our free time, so we accept donations, guys. So if you want to uh, help us out, go to 2NJB.com slash donate. Now, Professor Shifton, you have books in English? Uh, I have many articles in English. My major books are in Hebrew because I'm much more interested in impacting Israel than making a name to, for myself in academia. How can people But, read your English? Oh, first of all, they need to learn Hebrew because okay. then they can converse with the Almighty much easier. Sure. You know that in Israel it's a local call, so uh, yes. we don't have a problem. But I've uh, published quite a lot. But they can start by looking at YouTube mm -hmm. and uh, only realizing that I have a terrible spelling to my name. It is Dan as in civilized land, and then something somewhat uncivilized, S-C-H-U-E-F-T-A-N. Start with German. the... 
Uh, yes, the origin, it used to have an umlaut over the U, and the E compensates for it. So but in Wikipedia, I, I guess maybe for lazy people, it says or, and then it has the easy spelling. You should, in English, I've it never says or opened shift it. Dan. I, I, like, I have no idea what it says in, <laughs> it says in Wikipedia. Or, it says Dan, sh uh, the, the way you spelled it, and then or, S-H-I-F-T-A-N. My daughter uses this uh, ah, spelling, okay. so maybe, maybe this <laughs> maybe is the reason. Did. But the spelling is S-C-H-U-E-F-T-A-N, and uh, you will be outraged. You just watch the YouTube uh, Maybe things. some popcorn, huh? some snacks. Yeah. Okay, let's not <laughs> go, let's not be too detailed. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Shifton. It was Thank a pleasure. You. Thanks, Thank guys. So Bye. Bye.